Together this um, holy week up to this point today, we have uh, walked through each day reflecting on the notion of shattered. For just a few moments, I want to talk about on this Good Friday, uh, shattered hope. The last two verses of the uh, crucifixion narrative, as was told by Luke, uh, we heard earlier the whole crowd who came together to that site to seeing what had been done. They beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintance, acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. As I think about hope shattered, I realized that there were many people who on that day found their hope had been shattered. All four of the Gospels in some manner record the uh, Garden of Gethsemane narrative. Uh, Matthew gives specific details of the arrest of Jesus there in the garden and the subsequent abandonment of the disciples. Matthew said all the disciples forsook and they fled. Matthew also tells us, though, that Peter followed along at a distance to the place of Jesus' arrest, followed him and watched from the outside the trial or the trials of Jesus. John records that that he, John, stood at the foot of the cross with the mother of Jesus. And uh, Jesus spoke to John and said, Son, behold thy mother, and spoke to Mary and said, Woman, behold thy son. All of those people, the disciples, specifically Peter, certainly Mary, obviously John, had their hope shattered that day. Whether they were at the foot of the cross or if they were hidden in some secluded place somewhere else, a home possibly, hope had vanished on that Friday from the followers of Jesus. Hope had been building for three years as the disciples walked alongside Jesus. Matthew 9 tells us the story of the call of Matthew. He was a tax collector and he was so excited to encounter Jesus and be changed by Jesus that Matthew invited friends over for dinner that night. He wanted them all to meet Jesus. Matthew 4 kind of pulls back the veil and gives us insight into the calling of Peter and Andrew and James and John as they left their nets. They left everything they had to follow after Jesus. I love the way that John in his gospel describes the enthusiasm of the disciples very early on after the baptism of Jesus when John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We read these words, and looking at Jesus as he walked, John said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard John speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and seeing them following, he said, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, or be translated, Teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where Jesus was staying, and they remained with him that day. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. 
And Andrew uh, was Simon Peter's brother. And the first thing Andrew did is he went and he found his brother, Peter, Simon. And he said to him, come and see, we have found the Messiah, the Christ. And he brought Peter to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at Peter, he said, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated as stone. The next day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip there, and he said to Philip, follow me. And then Philip found Nathanael, and he said, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, come on, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming, he said to him, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, And Nathanael said, how in the world do you know me? Jesus said, before Philip called you, and when you were still under the fig tree, probably speaking of being a child down at the river when his mother had washed clothes, he was placed under a fig tree. Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Disciples were so excited. Matthew, Peter and Andrew, James and John, Philip and Nathaniel. What about Mary Magdalene? What hope must have filled Mary Magdalene's eyes and heart? The day that Jesus looked at her and he called her by name and he delivered her from those demons that had tormented her and controlled her for so long. What kind of hope she must have had. She was one that traveled with Jesus every day. She tended to his needs with some of the other women. They would minister to him and care for him. Her hope was filled until the cross. One can only imagine others that might have been there at the cross that day. Maybe blind Bartimaeus who had cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me and had his eyes opened. What about Lazarus who lived just down the road in Bethany just a few miles who'd been dead for four days, and Jesus called him out of the tomb. He probably was there that day too, and his his hope was shattered. Such hope they carried to the cross, shattered when they heard Jesus say, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. Shattered hope. Hope can be a very fragile thing. Very soon, their hope would be wrapped in a linen grave cloth and laid in a tomb in which no one had ever laid. Hard to imagine such robust hope so quickly vanishing. It was a hope that had risen every time a blind eye had been opened. It was a hope that was thrilled and delighted when the lepers were cleansed and when the deaf could hear. It was a hope that had run into the city saying, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Is not this the Christ, the Messiah? It was a hope that was stoked when the demon bound man who had been tied up and lived among the tombs was set free. It was a hope that was nurtured in the disciples when they saw Jesus take five loaves and two fish, break them, bless them, and feed 5,000 and have 12 baskets left. 
It was a hope that was cemented when they saw Jesus walk on the water and say to the storm, be still. And the waves were calmed. It was a hope that had soared in that adulterous woman in John chapter 8 who experienced new life as Jesus looked into her eyes and said, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. It was a hope that overflowed when one saw their servant and another saw their daughter who moments before had laid lifeless, now sit up and breathe. Robust hope, now shattered, now wrapped in grave clothes and thrown into a borrowed tomb. Hope could be fragile. Now the pain and disappointment of Friday, the cross, turned that hope into a heavy stone that just weighed them down. None of them would dare hope again. This would send them into complete despair if they had one more disappointment. And so they just guarded their hearts and they refused to hope again. And there are some who are listening today that you are in that season of life where your hope is shattered. You feel like your life has been reduced to survival and the last little bit of hope has been squeezed out of you. Hoping and dreaming is not even something you want to entertain anymore. The sky once was blue. Stars were once bright. Your life was once a book of blank pages ready to be colored on. But now the sky is gray and the stars seem to have fallen. The pages seem to be ripped in your book. Friday has come. And the hope has died. The future is one of dread. Death, divorce, bankruptcy, betrayal. What about the fear of a virus that has shut us down? So many today listening have experienced shattered hope. But what those at the foot of the cross didn't know was that the very cross that seemed to shatter their hope was really the means by which their hope was now guaranteed. Just a few hours before, Jesus had held the bread of the Passover meal and he had broken it and he had said these words, this is my body which is broken for you. And he'd held the cup of the Passover and said, this is my blood which is shed for you. You see, the broken body of Jesus broke open the veil in the temple, tore it in two, with an invitation from God to come in and draw near. The shed blood of Jesus that dripped from the nail prints and his skull and from his side is the means by which humanity can draw close to him. Otherwise, even if the veil was torn, if the shed blood had not cleansed our sins, we could not draw near. You see, the power of the cross takes shattered hope and it restores it to invigorated hope. The ones suspended on the cross before them would again be in their midst in just three days, having accomplished his mission, tearing open the way to God 
and providing access to him. Listen to me, your pain will give way to a new experience with God. This time confined will give us all a new passion to worship together again. The pain of your circumstances will give you new understanding of his amazing comfort. And the anxiety and fear of loneliness and hopelessness will be replaced with the nearness of God's presence and his unspeakable peace. The loss of your loved one gives way to the hope and assurance that one day you get to see them again. This is the message of Good Friday. Shattered hope overcome by the power of the cross. John Lennox, an author and professor at Oxford University, writes a story about touring Eastern Europe And there he met a Jewish woman from South Africa. This woman told John Lennox that she was researching how her relatives had perished in the Holocaust. At one point on their guided tour, they passed a display that had the following words written on it. Arbeitz Machfrey, or work makes free. It was a mock-up of the main gate to the Nazi death camp at Auschwitz. Display also had pictures of the horrific medical experiments carried out on children by the infamous Dr. Mengele. At that point of their tour, the Jewish woman turned to Lennox and she said, and what does your religion make of this? Lennox writes, what was I to say? She had lost her parents, many of her relatives in the Holocaust. I could hardly even bear to look at Mengele's photographs because of the sheer horror of imagining my own children suffering such a fate. I didn't have anything in my life, Lennox said, that even remotely paralleled to the horror her family had endured. But still, she stood in the doorway and she was waiting for an answer. What does your religion make of this? I eventually said, ma'am, I would not insult your memory of your parents by offering you simplistic answers to your question. What is more, I have young children and I can't even bear to think how I might react if anything were to happen to them, even if it were far short of the evil that Mengele did. I don't have any easy answers, she said. But I do have what for me at least is a doorway into an answer. What is it, she demanded. I said, you know, ma'am, that I am a Christian. That means that I believe Yeshua is the Messiah. I also believe that he was God incarnate to come into our world as a savior. That's what his name means. That's what Yeshua means, Savior. Now, I know that that's even more difficult for you to accept. Nevertheless, just think about this question. If Yeshua really was God, 
as I believe he was. What in the world was God doing on a cross? Could it be that God begins just here at the cross to meet our heartbreaks? By demonstrating that he did not remain distant from our human suffering, but he came, became part of it himself. For me, John Lennox said, this is the beginning of hope. And it is a living hope that cannot be smashed by the enemy of death. Because you see, ma'am, the story does not end in the darkness of the cross. Yeshua conquered death. He rose from the dead. And one day as the final judge, he will assess everything in absolute fairness and righteousness and mercy. She was silent. She was still standing, arms outstretched, forming a motionless cross in the doorway. And after a moment with tears in her eyes, very quietly but audibly, she said, why has no one ever told me that about my Messiah before? Do you know that about Jesus? He suffered to bring you hope, not shatter your hope. He entered into our pain so that we would not have to experience our pain alone. And he conquered it so that we would have hope that one day all things would be made right. And to you listening today, Jesus wants to enter into your pain. He wants to take the least likely thing in the world, a rugged cross, and he wants to take your shattered hope and invigorate that hope with the power of his broken body and his shed blood. Our Father, we thank you today for the power of the cross that somehow takes shattered hope and brings new life and meaning to it. Thank you that when you shed your blood and your body was broken on Calvary, what seemed to be an absolute tragedy became the hope of humanity. The veil was torn. Sinful man now has access to holy God. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Pray for those who may not know you today. It's not difficult. It doesn't take perfection doesn't even take goodness. It takes faith. Faith that Jesus died for them. Belief that he rose from the dead. And a willingness to follow you the rest of their life. So I pray in this moment, Lord, that they would just simply breathe this prayer. Jesus, come and live inside of me. Be my Lord and Savior. 
take my shattered hope and bring new hope and meaning to me again. I pray in Jesus' name. I want to invite you to take the bread, whatever you have with you. Maybe you're alone tonight. You're not alone. Jesus is here. This is the bread of his presence. He is among us. Maybe you're with your family, and I invite you and all of your family to share in this time together. The Bible tells us, Paul said, that we are to examine ourselves and make sure that there's not something in our life that would keep us from fellowship with him. And I invite you just to take the next 10 seconds and ask the Holy Spirit, is there something in your life that you need to surrender to him? Apostle Paul said, I received the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. After the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant. It's my blood which is shed for you. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the cup. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body.